This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. And this is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. So we are back at it again. We are. And I'm very, I'm, I thought I was excited <laughs> earlier. You're, you're, real, you're like giddy excited yeah, now? Okay. Yeah. I'm very excited okay. that for this next conversation, uh, because we are about to have our minds blown because the next person we have is a fucking brilliant scholar who I met years ago, really, uh, when I was doing my program, and you were kind of just getting started, and actually Kate Ott said that I needed to meet you. And so um, (laughs) I'm very excited about this one. I'm thrilled. I am. I am prepared to be pleasantly blown away because I because you're also excited. I am excited, and it's also my first time in conversation with you. So I'm really, really thrilled. Um, friends of the podcast, we're really excited to welcome to this episode Elise Ambrose. Um, Elise is a Black queer ethicist, a creative, an educator. And um, finds themselves at um, a crossroads of uh, race, sexuality, gender, spirituality, and religion. Um, They are an assistant professor of religious studies and black study at the University of California, Riverside. Mm -hmm. Elise, welcome. We're really thrilled to have you. Why don't you share with our listeners a little bit more about yourself, expound on that introduction. Um, Let folks know why Roberto is so excited. Well, no I'm, pressure, of course. I'm going to I'm going to see in the unfolding of this why Roberto is so excited, and I'm going to be right there with with Perfect. her for sure. But um, I'm so glad to be with you. Also, thank you for welcoming me into this space and 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 having this ah huh, this kitchen table where we can just yeah. uh, luxuriate one another. Yes. yes, and I love That's that. That's the best kind of theology, right? Yes. yes. 
I'm a Libra, so luxuriate it is. But um, <laughs> I really appreciate that the um, your reading of my bio uh, landed you on saying that I, I find myself at the convergence of particular things, um, as you said, race and gender intersection. Because that, I guess that is where I found myself and am therefore able to bring it to the work that I do. Um, so much of my life, for whatever reasons I would imagine because of uh, religious trauma yeah. or just, you know, being a Southerner trauma, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Racism, <laughs> anti-Black. Black. So yeah. many things enacting upon one um, Black self in order to produce this um, this disconnection, this disembodiment. Um, and it is a very meaningful feeling a very meaningful journey that has brought me in my 37th year to find myself fully uh in my blackness in my agenderness in my queerness in my polyness in my spiritual fluidity and and ambiguity and just loving (laughs) the liminality that comes along with that um I, I say that I am a black queer ethicist an educator and a creative and um what I mean by that, my primary medium in terms of my creativity is photography, but also it, it comes up in, in my writing that I do as a scholar. And um, it's I'm grateful to have the opportunity to maybe see how some of this uh, will will integrate into our conversation and to hear to hear how y'all are connecting with uh, on the creative side, on the educator side, because, I mean, this podcast becomes a differing means of, of, of uh, a new way, a different kind of way of knowing. Right. Right. Uh, Roberto and I, we were talking about how perhaps the best modality for learning is maybe not sitting and listening to a lecture yeah. or listening to sort of um, disembodied speech yeah. even or, or, or something and that feels like the AR, right. which is call I them mean, out, we, drag them. Yeah. We, um, and we've been calling out the AR um, this whole weekend. Yes. But, I was trying to be slick. Yeah, okay. It's all right. but, you know, for you among friends, for, for just as a reminder, we are at the annual meeting of the joint uh, meeting of the American Academy of Religion and the Society of Biblical Literature, where scholars, people with PhDs or, the, or PhDs in training, um, converge on a room and listen to a panel, uh, you know, one to three papers and like passively receive. Now we've talked about how, how this is present in the church right? Mm. and how um, what happens at the pulpit does not um, motivate people to get their hands dirty. Correct. Mm. I'm recalling the conversation that we had right before we recorded with Torian uh, that the lecture hall, the pulpit, and the boardroom is what? It, it is where knowledge goes to die. Yeah. It's the graveyard for knowledge. Oh, and, that, and that our role in this work is to exhume 
um, that knowledge in a way that then manifests it into a living space, not a right. dead space. Right. And so I, I, yeah, I love that we have found ourselves here. I also will admit fully that um, as a fellow creative at the table, um, my background is in primarily in design and illustration, but um, I, I also am trained as a photographer and I was um, scoping out a little of your work before <laughs> we had a chance to, to gather together. And I, um, I'm really, I, like, I'm excited about not only the possibility of this conversation, but just, I mean, I really do believe that there is an added um, bit of friction and, and energy and atom bursting that happens when creatives are at a table together. Okay. And so I'm, like, thrilled to see, yeah. you know, what, what manifests and transpires here today. You know, I have this dream of doing art and social healing work. Mm -hmm. And so... We might find ourselves in a different conversation. <laughs> we may, we may, we Already. never know with, with the right doctor, Elise Ambrose. Um, so there might be more to discover here at the intersections of our work. And we may just decide that we have to have this conversation two or three times a year. Yes. So we get to everything. Yes. <laughs> yes. Always so much ground to cover. Right. Always so much ground to cover. And I, I love that. Oh, the ways that as creatives or as people engaging, utilizing in, in meshing ourselves with art, we have the opportunity to um, make, make things come alive. Mm -hmm. When you were speaking, Roberto, I remembered, um, I don't know why I went on this journey, but um, the first thing, one of the first things my grandmother ever taught me, which was a song, and I do not sing, so I'm not going to sing. But I mean, it just in, in thinking about the arts and thinking about different epistemologies, ways of knowing, embodied ways of knowing, I will never forget. Uh, this is a psalm, actually. My grandmother said, and <laughs> there's also hand motions that go with it. So y'all can't y'all can't see it. But the song was it went, come ye little children, hearken unto me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, Psalm 34, verse 11, 13, and 14. One of the first things I ever learned, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> particularly in, in terms of arts and also probably the first psalm uh, or piece of a psalm that I ever learned. And, you know, even, you know, I don't have any religious commitments, but the song six, mm -hmm. because my grandma taught it, mm -hmm. taught, it to, <laughs> taught it to me. And because it was like, hearken unto me, yes. I'm doing hand motions right. and I will teach you, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> it was such a meaningful time of just like getting, getting that message into my body and it, it'll never leave me. Mm -hmm. It'll never leave me. And that's the power of arts. That's the power of embodied learning. That's the power of giving something to someone, you know, passing it on intergenerationally mm -hmm. and saying, now do it your way and let's do it together. Yeah, right. And yeah. So when the tangible meets the emotional yes, and, and the cognitive, I, I mean, it's, there's this, yeah, there's this goodness that mm -hmm. just, um, it's hard to describe. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's easy to feel, but it's hard to describe. I'm feeling it. Yeah. I've not yeah. told that story before. So <laughs> it's funny that it came up. So well, thank you for sharing. So, mm -hmm. so um, 
we have been asking all of the scholars one question okay. to kind of get us going. And I love this conversation about um, creatives and art because I think it relates to the question mm-hmm. that I'm going to ask. Okay. And and we we were we were discussing this on my flight when we were texting. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness for texting at 38,000 feet. It seems very bizarre that we do that, but um, we are slaves to technology on some level. Um, <laughs> So we have both been socialized into a system that, well, many people, you too, if mm-hmm. had you stayed in corporate or, or the church, mm-hmm. um, uh, that doesn't care for the underside of history. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of scholars today and scholars in training who are not going to have access to a 401k or or a savings account that will afford them the luxury to retire at 65. Mm -hmm. And so um, you have been thinking and talking about queer relationality for a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Elise has a podcast around Black Queer Love Mm -hmm. that they did for some time. I don't know if you're still doing it. Limited series podcast. But yeah, it it was a couple of years that we did that. Yeah. Yeah. So check that out if you're interested in um, queer relationality and black queer love. But it it brings me to a question and something that um, you and I have talked about a lot uh, because we don't have offspring and we don't have bio families who are, we are not trust fund babies. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't want to be hustling when I'm 65 years old. And so uh, my partner and I are thinking about we're imagining ethical futures. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious, uh, your work around queer relationality, mm-hmm. black queer ethics, black queer sexual ethics, how do we create conditions to age well? Hmm. Period. Period. <laughs> I, so, <laughs> so, so, and the reason why I stopped there yeah. is I don't want to say how do we create conditions to age well in community? Because that assumes that assumes mm-hmm. the community will be a part of will be will 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 be a given. It assumes that. It also assumes that that is a, that we might agree on that term, right? And we may oh, not actually well. agree mm-hmm. on. I mean, I think we do, but mm-hmm. but it but th- that's a word that for um, for certain people. Community means one thing, mm-hmm. and and for me it may mean something else. And right. so I want to I want to mm-hmm. trouble mm-hmm. that term and not and not assume that there's a normative expression of of community. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure, yeah. And and I feel like so frequently community typically just means um, where we go to the same place. So we're a community or we live around the same blocks. And so we're community and and it's, it must be, must be so much more than that if we are to move into any sort of future with intention as well as some form of wellness. Right. And and I guess the, the question becomes what what is what does it mean to to live well? What are the categories of um, dignity and integrity and, and um, communality 
and 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 the like that have to exist for a person to feel that that that, that they are in in a state of wellness. And I and you know I'm I'm thinking about this after living through COVID and continuing to live mm-hmm. in a pandemic, mm-hmm. where I'm learning a lot from crip studies and disability studies, mm-hmm. um, and and I mean they are. I mean, why aren't we fe- featuring that at the AAR? Yeah, yeah, and and asking those questions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just another example of of how we are not thinking about another possible world. Yeah. We are not thinking about ethical futures or stewarding ethical futures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I'm learning from CRIP studies and disability studies, and I've I've read a fair amount of CRIP and disability in my program, mm-hmm. but it, it's a there's a reemergence mm-hmm. of that discourse right mm-hmm. now. And so it's got me thinking a lot about how do we practice a care ethic now yeah. to create conditions to age well mm-hmm. in, you know, I'm 46 years old. Mm-hmm. So um, when I'm 65, mm-hmm. I mean, we are working much later than 65 yeah. years old, but when I'm 65, I don't want to be hustling right. like I am now. Right. And I maintain a curiosity around what do, mean, what do we mean when we say well? Mm-hmm. What That's does great. aging yeah. well mean? Mm-hmm. It is well... Um, a, a health construct is mm-hmm. well a, a community construct is well a, a, a mutual aid or a, um, a, a monetary a, a, a capitalist um, safety you know I mean are I mean are there are there nets or or, or webs of, wellness mm-hmm. that that also inform what right. that question even means right. because aging well to some is you know uh, let me let me rephrase that aging well to me right now at 49 is enough skin care so that my crow's feet and my forehead lines are not as pronounced as they used right. to be. Now, right. that's a construct of the beauty industry, right. and, you know, mm-hmm. white supremacy. And I mean, I have been taught for, you know, the last 20 years that um, I need certain things in order to, you know, yeah. fit into a mold of, of, of what is perceived to be beautiful and, and well-aged. Mm-hmm. But what do we mean even when we say aging well? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. and I, I would think that that should always be a bit of a malleable category as we continue to um, learn more about what it means to be in just relationship, right relationship with one another as we begin to learn more about our needs as people. I mean, um, I think I think in my family line, I think in, in the family line of so many people I know who are black and are um, in this country, how we talk about, for instance, um, what are what are our histories of um, mental uh, wellness or mental illness in our families? And we don't know because uh, most people haven't in our families haven't had access to right, right. The, the, uh, the, the tools to be able to know even what's going right. on. And um, some have been subject to hospitals uh, where they've received shocks, shock therapy or, or things of that nature or or put away in, in, in a back room or or written off as like, oh you know they a little they a little off or what have you and so it's like as we gain more ways of understanding what it means to um 
to to have the possibility of wellness, then we get to live into that uh, communally and to trouble those categories, as you're saying, or even expand them because they're so often informed by capitalism, by uh, advertising, marketing, (laughs) corporate standards, what have you. And so, you know, we 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 can both um, gain something from, um, you know, the DSM 15, whatever number we might be on right now. And at the same time, trouble um, some of the constructs around, around uh, even monetizing or commodifying care and wellness. (laughs) I think that's a pretty big industry right now, but I mean, I would, I would like to see, and this is, this is important for me as someone, as I was sharing before with Roberto, I, I don't have many elders in my life. My grandparents, um, all passed away when I was in my teens or younger. And, um, I am somewhat estranged from the paternal side of my family and not very integrated into the maternal side. So my families are very much of my own making and they are people who are around my age because yeah. they are my partners, but, but, um, and, and people who are younger, who we've taken into our family and, and, and extended to a certain kind of care, right. um, that is more mutual, but, but is care nonetheless and wellness that we're trying to at least um, live into a vision, construct a vision, work around, think through a vision together of what wellness looks like, even now in our thirties, twenties, forties, what have you. And I, and I, I just love the idea of communities thinking about that together. Mm-hmm. And it, it isn't that it isn't this insular thing where it's like, you know, um, I'm, I'm saving all of my money uh, <laughs> for myself. And when I get 65, I'm going to go live in, um, I don't know, Guatemala or somewhere where I can make this money stretch. And, and I'm, it's just going to be, it's going to be more me. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, disrupting those logics even now sounds like a great step toward yeah. a sort of establishing futures toward wellness. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, I always, there's a, there's a longstanding joke with my partner and I, we've been married 25 and a half years at this point and, uh, we are childless by choice. Mm -hmm. Um, but we used, we have, um, six nieces and nephews Mm -hmm. and the joke was always, um, which one of them is going to like us best in order for their That's why you go to their soccer games. Don't tell the secret. (laughs) You were hustling them. You were playing them. Look, it was even worse at one point. We were like, we need to gather all of the good stuff. Like, let's, let's be like capitalist in a really icky way so that our nieces and nephews want that stuff gifted to them in the will so that they will be the ones that are nice right. to us until the end. I mean, how disgust, I mean, and, and I say that there's a flippancy to that. And yet there's also, as I listen to you, Elise, talk about kind of the, the intentionality around which you and, and your partners and, and your chosen family are making those critical decisions. I would say that that my partner and I are doing the same. And also we are as 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 white folk, we are not it we are not conscripted into that understanding of of mutual ethics of care in ways that make 
conversations like that flow naturally for us. Mm-hmm. There's there has to be a real a real um, shift in our thinking in it, it, to understand how we would how we make that happen and how we plan for that and how we um, how we build the kind of chosen family and community around us now so that um, the 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 care that we need is afforded us and the care that those need we are able to afford them yeah um and so you know whereas i do i joke about you know which one of the nieces and nephews is going to like us best i mean that that's a fear-based response for me mm-hmm. um and and i think and i think that there are many in in our communities and in our listenership that have those same kinds of curiosities and those same kinds of fears around what 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 aging and and wellness looks like for them as as you know life continues well and i'm just thinking about this space where we are um here in denver right. i've been coming to the aar since 1999 when i was in college and the 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 older i have gotten and the more clear i see in this space is that these societies, these these academic guilds, are not teaching um, their constituents how to be well. Um, they they did send out an email saying, "Be careful with your alcohol consumption at at higher altitudes." But, and I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, there's no sober space here. Huh. So, so what are we, what are we communicating to scholars? Um, every reception serves alcohol. Absolutely. Um, and, and so I, I've been thinking a lot about, cause so many people in our communities are sober and they, and they have had varying experiences with substances that have compromised them. And so they've chosen a different route, a route to be sober. Uh, we have, I've, I've shared this maybe uh, before, we, we have a black Buddhist monk living with us. We like to refer to ourselves as a queer harem family. Um, but um, Santi is sober and he needed a very particular place to land when he left the monastery because he is sober and because he has a particular orientation to his own well-being and um they're they're not they're just not a lot of sober folks um that he could that he could live with now uh, my partner and i we are not sober we do socially drink um, and every time I go speak at a church, the the men's group gives me a bottle of bourbon. So I've got a stash of bourbon, you know. So when you come to Nashville, if you are a bourbon drinker, I'd be happy to share with you. But You're such a granddad. Yes. I'm an old man. Already. Um, Already. Look, I'm claiming it. Claiming it. But but as an example, we had to have a very serious conversation with Santi. Yeah. Uh, we, you are welcome to live here. Um, and how do you feel that I have a full bar here? Mm-hmm. And he said, it's fine because y'all don't abuse it. So 
uh, there again, there is a care, right? Yeah. A care ethic mm-hmm. just in the conversation. For sure. Right? For sure. Um, but what are what are we what are we modeling to scholars in training mm-hmm. here? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my professors uh, essentially drank himself to death. Um, and he was a brilliant Latino queer scholar. Um, but we lost him yeah. far far too early. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are we, you know, do we have a care ethic in these places? Well, I appreciate the examples that you've shared, uh, particularly the one of um, of you and Santi and and your partner and the, 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 just the conversation that you all were able to have. Um, And I'll come back to the spaces of, um, of care in settings such as these, like, like AAR, but, you know, there was something that became readily apparent to me during, um, the peaks of the COVID crisis, um, but that has always been true in Black community. We we say this a lot that we all we got, right. and it's absolutely um, not an overstatement when we think in terms of what well will will these institutions in which we place so much trust, um, like Social Security, right. or, or will these um, or health insurance or health insurance or the four hundred one k or our jobs, any, any like these things that we put trust in, will, will they have us at the end of the day? Not necessarily. Many of in many in most spaces. Um, I'll speak as a black self, um, we are dispensable, Mm -hmm. able to be discarded at any time. And and, I mean, I think that's the plight of many workers um, here in the United States. And so the question becomes, if we don't care for ourselves, then who will? And I had an epiphany around that. Um, I saw a bird on, uh, had fallen out of a tree. It was raining and the bird had mites. And um, I was like, somebody's, somebody's gonna help that bird. And I'm walking, <laughs> and then I pause. And I'm like, no, no, maybe somebody won't have to help that bird. Maybe I need to help the bird because I am what this bird has right now. Mm-hmm. And even though it seems like maybe like a, a, a an oversimplification or maybe a childish example or what have you, I really had a moment with this bird. I have two parakeets at home, so I have a special connection yeah. with birds in general. But stopping and you know the the mites got on my partner's legs and stuff. It was kind of it was kind of um it was a a sacrifice. Yeah. But it was but, for the people, for the bird people. <laughs> for the bird people. But it was like okay, we took it to the Audubon um, or one of the uh, the societies down in in the city in Manhattan, and I'm sure they they helped that bird restore to health. We talked about to uh, talk about it with the person. And they were like, yeah, they're probably going to survive. They just need to work through the mites, and we'll and we'll take care of it. But even uh, what I'm pointing to is the everydayness mm-hmm. to to borrow from Emily Towns, the everydayness of the ethics that we have to practice. That you know we can come up with ideas that are that can are publishable or presentable or um, that may get us closer to the the things we're striving for, like tenure and things like that. We can come up with those ideas and keep them in a book um, that people might not know about or behind a firewall uh, where they can't reach the academic articles, right? right? We can put the ideas there. Or we can begin, um, as it is said of, of Black feminist futuring, to live right now into the future that should be. And that it is those 
those everyday acts of care, those everyday acts of connection um, that can't be falsified and, and really only come from the openness and vulnerability of being in community with um, that we get to practice, practice, experiment with, try on and try off ethics um, and and see how we can construct something that is useful for now and in in futures that we anticipate. You know, I I am trying to do that Mm. very practically. Mm -hmm. Um, I have vowed to never watch another U.S. election from this country, and I will go to Latin America. Now, I learned that um, when you're out out of the country, you cannot watch Hulu live. That's correct. (laughs) So... I had to mastermind my way to watch the election returns. Mm-hmm. But but um, this is how I'm caring for myself and my family, mm-hmm. is by not watching the elections in my home. And if they don't let me back in, I'm happy to stay in Latin America. The other thing that I am dreaming and trying to midwife mm-hmm. is creating a space and place for those who want to age in community. Mm-hmm. Because I was told by my financial advisor that I needed $3 million if I was going to retire at 65. I, That's I don't a lot have, of money. I don't have access to that kind of cash. Mm-hmm. 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 And so... Well, and also, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, what, where, what is that number related to? Right. right? So there's a, there's a certain expectation that your financial advisor has of you right about the perceived life right that they think you want to live right um those perceptions may or may not be true um and so those numbers i mean in many ways that number was not meant to entice you into creativity that number was meant to scare you mm-hmm. into a, a a, a place of scarcity right. and of, mm-hmm. and of, and of what if, and of like, Oh shit. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I can't, then what? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that even that alone, even that tactic is yeah. problematic. And, the, and that is such, you've named such a hindrance to care in, in your, your conversation around scarcity that I, isn't, isn't that so frequently what prevents right. um, <laughs> some sort of practice of care from developing that if that if I do this, then I might not have enough money for that or I might not right. have enough space for this. And I might and 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 preservation so frequently or, or the drive toward what we think will cause us to preserve ourselves um, creates fragmentation, creates distance, creates isolation, isolation. Right. Um, and, and the and and then the notion that we are all alone in this world. Right. So double down, right? Because you're on your own, right. <laughs> and right. it's like no, that's that that's that doesn't have to be true. And just as Torian said, not all skin folk are kin folk. Mm-hmm. So who can we trust yeah. in this process right. of stewarding mm-hmm. ethical futures mm-hmm. or the futuring practices that we want to see yeah. now? So I'm dreaming. I'm hoping to midwife. It's, you know, I only want to give birth to ideas. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's a legitimate form of, yeah. of having offspring. Mm-hmm. 
So I've got these two books that are published, which I'm very proud of, but now I'm looking to give birth to an idea of an aging community that mm-hmm. it, that is not in this country, mm-hmm. but that is accessible to people in this country. For those who want, for queer and trans people who want to age in community. And, it, and it's, the idea is for it to be intergenerational. Yeah. And I've been trying to, to get Anna to, to move with me to a different country and we could, we could each have a tiny house, you know? <laughs> I require a lot of time on my own. Yes. Um, and I'm an extroverted seven on the Enneagram who wants never to be alone, especially with my own feelings. And so I, (laughs) I said to Roberto, I will go anywhere with you as long as that tiny house is not one we share, but one one that I can look out my window to wave to him and he can do the same to me and I can enter into that door when I have the, when I, when I want. (laughs) But but, you know, this idea of there is enough to go around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, but we are not living that way. No. Mm -hmm. And, and there is an imagination for, for, for a diversity of tactics to age well in community that is intergenerational where everybody has their own space. Mm-hmm. And there is a library because I'm going to take all my books with me. <laughs> Cause those are, those are, those are the only thing I care about my books and my cats. Um, there would be a pretty finite statement. I, I think that that is more expansive than you've named it to be, but okay. Keep continue. Well, you, you're spilling the tea now. Okay. <laughs> Um, but but you know there'll be a library there'll be uh, less maybe there's a swimming pool why not right where we can do our our aerobic activity mm-hmm. maybe there's a movement space we have for, to move yes we must and there is a space for everyone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the, and there is communal space is there art there's space in, what art, is there an art space? there is our space because <laughs> I'm married to an artist so there you, you go. know there's got to be our gotta space, be an art space. Um, and 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 there's enough uh-huh. mm-hmm. and we can do this when we begin to imagine a collective future that is rooted in an ethics of care mm-hmm. and I love the things that you named because uh, I mean again quotidian everyday things yeah. um, and that's not frivolous right the the swimming being embodied enjoying the water mama water yeah, yeah. um <laughs> at the same time mama water feeling feeling that 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 is not frivolous eating great great mangoes mm-hmm. not frivolous you didn't have that on your list but it is on the <laughs> Um, the, but, the sushi that we got last night, yeah, I ordered it because it had mango on it. See? And listen, when I'm in Latin America, I drink as much mango and Havana Club as I can because, because I like that combination. <laughs> so and, and, and it's not frivolous. Right. This is, this, is, this, is, this is signaling um, in some ways, not in all ways, but it's signaling in some ways what it means to be, I think, um, sensory, um, careful, and um, a, a very attentive in our practices. Can we say pleasure? Can we? Let's. Because. Absolutely. Because <laughs> I danced around it. Thank you for bringing, for bringing it to the fore. Having a practice of pleasure mm-hmm. is not a bad thing. No. And so I find coming to the AAR pleasurable. Mm-hmm. Mm. But 
it's not the institution that I find pleasurable. It's this. Mm-hmm. It's this kind of dreaming. It's imagining. That's what I find pleasurable because there's how many thousand scholars here that there is a minority of folks who want to have these conversations. Yes. Yes. So who are those people? That's mm-hmm. what I find pleasurable. Mm-hmm. I When we stopped, uh, we, we took a cruise together um, in the okay. before times. <laughs> it was it was people always wonder how this works out but it does somehow um we went to we went on a cruise and we stopped and in belize i think it was and i had to get in the ocean because i had to let yamaya i had to be with yamaya Mm -hmm. and you took a picture And it, because that is pleasurable to me. Yes. Because that gives me life. That is spirit. Yes. Yes. I will say that I find AAR pleasurable too. Um, and here's how. We are, we are both nerdy too. So <laughs> It's true. There is the nerddom piece, but there's also just the fact that I, because of AAR, I have met people from around the country with whom I am of like heart and of like mind and of like vision and not exactly, but like, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so, <Adjacent. laughs> so yeah, so we can walk together and it's such a meaningful experience to just be able to uh, allow myself to perceive them, whether we've been distant for years or maybe a couple of weeks or whatever, just being able to connect with one another. And I will share another great pleasure. I know that we're uh, arriving to our time. Another great pleasure I had today was um, the editor of the publisher that is going to be publishing my book was like, hey, I know you, you're publishing a book with us. <laughs> and then I had to take a picture and send it to my partner and say, yay, look. So, you know, there are the pleasures yeah. that come. Yeah. Right. Well, I like seeing my book on display. It's a beautiful thing. You know? It's a beautiful thing. And, and it's, it's a, it's, um, it is a manifestation of another kind of care mm-hmm. because I don't think that I could have gone through the years that it took to produce the book um, and the, the pain and the um, sweat and the tears mm-hmm. uh, that, that went into it if I didn't care about the subjects at the center of the book, which are Black queer people. Mm-hmm. There's care there. Mm-hmm. And so this labor, um, I counted. I'll be churchy. I count it joy mm-hmm. uh, that I get to joy that I get to um, uh, contribute to a community that is mine and that has held me. And, and and you know, this is a way of holding us back. Tell to the listeners what your book, what the title of your book, and who's publishing it. It's um, it's being published by TNT Clark, which is a subsidiary of Bloomsbury Press. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's a part of um, an embodiment and sexual ethics series. Um, and the title of the book is A Living Archive Embodying a Black Queer Ethics. And it is a constructive ethics rooted in um, Black queer archives. Mm. Uh, I, I do some digging into 1920s Black queer sexual and gender nonconformist Harlem. I do a genealogy genealogy of black, uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and queer scholars um, in religion, in, in Christianity primarily, but in putting forward a trans-religious and transdisciplinary sexual ethic 
rooted in um, justice love. Love it. Love it. I hope that it will be affordable so our listeners can buy it. It is. It is. We made sure of that. And it it also features some of my art. So I'm really excited about that. Black queer folks in there. I'm excited. I'll be be pre-ordering it when when I can. Um, When when my first book was being published, they tried to send it over to um, Lexington Books. And Lexington Books, uh, $100. Uh And I said, nope, Uh -uh. you can't put activist CLG as $100. It's rooted (laughs) in community no and so um they were able to keep it at a reasonable price you know 21.99 but can't wait to read your book thank Thank you you. so much for being on the podcast i hope that we can get dr ambrose back it would be a gift um i want to i want to just talk creativity with you at some point and so let's do it let's do it thanks again we're really grateful that you said yes to this ask absolutely Um, and friends we'll see you again next week on the activist theology podcast we want to thank you for listening this week we encourage you to share this podcast with your community if you enjoy us and our work in the world please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast. We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. I get my hands dirty. I show up so early. They show me no mercy. So I just keep working. Maybe God could save me. Oh, my boss, my payment. You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.